Okay, and we are live for another episode episode of Absolute AppSec, uh, episode nine with Jason Haddix. Jason hey, and uh, co-host Seth Law. Hey, hey, everybody. So we are super excited to have Jason on tonight. Um, I've known Jason for a while. He's a great guy. He knows you're like, Jason, you're, you're a huge... You're, you have a vast amount of experience with like bug hunting and um, basically the, the, you know, the top ways to sort of find the most impactful bones within a, a short amount of time. Um, you've done a, you've done a ton of work, uh, a ton of talks. Um, I just, there's like so much I could say about you. Um, but obviously we're going to, we're going to ask you a bunch of questions. And so we'll get into that uh, as time goes on. Um, so, you know, I know you are with bug crowd, so can you explain your role there a little bit, uh, what you do at bug crowd? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, bug crowd is a crowdsource security platform. Uh, we take, um, take the idea of, uh, your standard type of security assessment and, uh, basically distribute it to, uh, a vetted crowd of researchers. And so right now I'm the VP of trust and security, but actually what that means in the day to day is I. Um, I manage our sales engineering group, which is a small group of stellar security engineers. All of them were previous researchers. Um, and we help clients on the pre-sales side design what's going to be a successful bounty. So, um, you know, a lot of people just don't know the ins and outs of, of what responsible disclosure has looked like in the last, you know, 10 years. And then what this type of crowdsourcing model looks like uh, when you start it. And so really, we, we want to set expectations right so that the researchers uh, you know, get the right interaction from the customer. And so we help them design the scope, um, the length, uh, we match the researchers. And that's about 70% of our time. And then 30% of our time is is really just a special projects group inside of BugCraft. We've done a, a bunch of cool little product features. Um, you know, we help all the other groups when we can um, do some cool things. And so uh, that's kind of what we're doing right now, yeah. Very cool. How big is that team? Uh, right now, it's five engineers and myself. Yeah. Nice. And then, how did you get involved with Bug Crowd? Um, yeah. So uh, I was actually a researcher on Bug Crowd. So um, I uh, I was working for HP, um, and uh, I was the director of pen testing at HP, um, designing methodology with Daniel Meisler, um, and managing the mobile team at that time. So doing mobile reverse engineering and mobile testing. I had written a a mobile testing framework for HP. Um, and uh, I think Casey, I, I knew Casey because he had started a pen test group called the Tall Poppy Group a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And um, we had just met it around at conferences and stuff like that. And, sorry if my kids are in the background. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, absolutely. And so he uh, he basically emailed me with this like wonky email that I thought he was actually um, BSing me with. And it was like, hey, we're doing this like, crowdsource hacking thing um you know we're inviting a whole bunch of researchers to hack this platform just accept the invite um and if you find bugs we'll pay you and i was like all right whatever so could have been phishing but it could have been real so um i i launched headfirst into doing their first i think six beta programs um and i found some wonderful bugs and and like uh, the thing about it was that at that time they had just um, started to have like this idea of in the early days of the platform, they had just instituted the idea of a leaderboard. And like, I don't know if you guys experienced this in your career, but you never really know 
like how good you are compared to other people, honestly. Um, and like, I just wanted to like make sure that like my testing methodology was like good and that I was doing the right things and that, you know, I was teaching the people at HP the right stuff. And so I started participating a lot and I, I wanted to see, I wanted to make it my personal goal to be on the leaderboard. So eventually fast forward, like a year later, I made it to number one on the leaderboard. They flew me out to Black Hat and DEF CON, uh, met them there. And then um, it turned out they were starting, um, they were starting a triage and validation group, which was the operations group. Um, they call these the application security engineers at BugCrowd, which means that they take all the bugs that come in, they deduplicate, they triage, and now add remediation advice to um, to these bugs. And so uh, they asked me if I wanted to come run that team and train and, and scale it out. Um, so I did. I went and uh, left HP, went to BugCrowd and started working there. And the rest is kind of history. I moved up iteratively inside of the organization, kind of leading a whole bunch of different groups. Very cool. How much time? I'm curious. How much time um, to get to number one? How much time, like a week, did you have to put in? Like, give a, a seven day period, for instance. Yeah, uh, I would say a week. When I was trying to get to number one, I would probably put in about twenty hours a week, just in a free time. I think. So it's um, like a part time job, but that's not bad. Yeah. I mean, yeah. no, and it, you're and you're generating income from it too, right? I mean, those were. Um, I, I think that when I stopped, um, when I stopped testing uh really hardcore i had already made like i think like 40 or 50k or something like that um enough enough in the first round when i stopped testing i paid for you know part of my wedding with that money and then the, the next year when i had tested a lot too i had actually paid for part of my minivan so like uh <laughs> you know it helped out helped out a lot with the kids and stuff uh yeah absolutely so wow. um, but yeah, it it does take a little bit of of dedication to to get that high. I know most of the people now on the leaderboard are way better than me, and um, and uh, they they work full time on bug bounty. So it's it's uh, yeah. pretty interesting how it's evolved nowadays. Yeah, and that's what I've seen. Right as I've been involved, right? as I was transitioning this last time around, I spent a couple of weeks doing bug bounty stuff, and you know, definitely like like you were saying, right? Actually, being able to compare. All right, is the stuff that I'm doing does it compare with the guys that are on that list and I was like, oh yeah, no, no, I can find things pretty quickly. But I did, like, my experience was, especially the open ones, right? I, you have to be on top of it, right? Those mm -hmm. guys that are doing it full time, they've got all their bots that are there scanning stuff and they're jumping on things the instant that they open up because you want to be the first one to give a quality report, actually get mm -hmm. some, you know, some sort of payout. And it's the same way I would treat it if I was doing it full time, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure the rest of you would too. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's two, there's two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's two ends of the spectrum. One is, one is that, right? I mean, a uh, number of our hunters have developed platforms that will SMS them when um, a couple of things happen. One is it'll SMS them when uh, a new bounty or target comes up so they can jump on it immediately, like go home and do it. Uh, the other one is they can uh, is when there's already an existing public program and they find new scope. Like if it's an open scope bounty that says anything that Tesla has under the sun that you can hack, um, anytime they find a new subdomain, it'll like email them. They have automation just iteratively scanning the internet for um, you know for those sites. And so there's there's that end, um, but there's also the other end of like if you've been doing this for a long time as like a pen tester or just a security professional or like you know, architect or something like that. There are certain skill levels or that, um, 
you know, bugs go, you know, still latent, even though the program's a, an open scope program and it's been around for a while. So like mobile, which you are really good at, um, actually tends to have a lot of those. So like uh, yeah. even on some of the open programs, like, you know, APIs don't get reversed out and, you know, like bad handling of keys doesn't get noticed a ton of times unless we have some really good mobile researchers on there. And some of those bugs still come through, uh, even though a program has been open for a long time, if we get the right researchers applied. So that's the constant battle for us as a platform is to try to like invite the right people or get the right people incentivized to work on the right programs. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think a lot of those expertise, right? I, I mean, especially mobile, I think that's where we first met Jason was at the cactus con or something like that talking. Yeah, mobile yeah, stuff, Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I like I can see that just because it isn't quite it, it's not the wide wide swath. It's not as easy to set up a, you know, a robot to go search and tear apart an iOS IPA or whatever, and actually yeah. scan for those things. I mean, and that's interesting because that that is definitely when I get emails from the different bug bounty programs. That's that's always something that they're asking for is, you know, uh, you know that like code review. Mm -hmm. right? I I think more companies have started to go the bug bounty route with code reviews as well, um, and so they are pushing more into that architect level or you know senior level researcher area. Um, yeah. It's going to be harder to find people, right? Just be, there's not as many of us around. Absolutely, which, I think which is good for us, but we're also busy, right? I, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And most most of us have full time jobs too, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think one of the I think the areas that I would identify that still um, that you could find vulnerabilities in that are uh, pretty heavily embedded in the application are all all the mobile bounties, um, any IoT bounty that requires some access to reversing hardware. Um, and then all of our car hacking bounties are, we're always looking for skill sets with those and, and people to bring in skill sets for those. Um, and anything, uh, API based as well. So it seems to be, there is a tiny bit of a barrier to ent entry to fuzzing rest APIs or fuzzing soap based services and stuff like that. So, um, those would be the ones I would say that, uh, that other spectrum is, is still looking for, for great talent all the time. Cool. So anybody that's out there that's listening, right? You know, and you're looking for a niche, someplace to practice your skills. There you go, right? Start with yeah. APIs, start with mobile and IOTs, and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And I know. So I know at least one of our watchers um, is sort of kind of breaking into the the whole appsec uh, world, security in general, but you know, application security somewhat. Um, and just, I, you know, I told, uh, so Ricky, he's one of the folks watching. I had told him, um, Hey, you know, like we're gonna, we're gonna talk about some of this, uh, with Jason. So on that note, if you're, so like we've, we talked about this earlier in some other episodes, which was, you know, the, the good thing about like a bug crowd or a hacker one is that in, in, you know, for for those of us who were doing this a while ago it was uh it was pretty much a gray area like you try not to get in trouble but you don't have like a safe way to test stuff you know yeah, yeah. so so assuming you know that that like they can anyone can sign up anyone can get going um is there a way for folks like that uh who are new to kind of like get a sense of when they like if they want to report something like if it's valid i mean because the reason i say that is that um i i've seen submissions you know having worked the other side of the bug bounty uh where maybe 
the the person was uh, like they knew they knew that this was something they didn't have all the context around it so maybe it, you know it wasn't like uh, a huge issue or even something you, you need to report because there is there anywhere they can bounce those things off people before they uh, the researchers submit it up for um, um, you know to 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 a company just so that they get a sense of if it's real or not I know it's kind of yeah. weird. No, no, I, I totally get the question. It's it's so one of the constant struggles that we have with is, um, you know, like validity of contextual bugs, right? So an application has some kind of context behind it. And, um, you know, maybe there's some data exposed via like an, a return of some JSON blob or something somewhere. And you're not sure whether that's sensitive to the company or not, right? And you want to you wanna maybe report it um, as a bug because it could be sensitive, but then again, they could say, we don't care, right? If you look at like Google's bug bounty, there's a lot of stuff they just don't care about, right? Because uh, it doesn't you know, pose any impact to the company if, if that data leaks. Um, whereas other companies don't want anything out there um, about you know, any of their server-side data or anything like that, so, um, or any like you know, client data at all. So anyway, there, there do exist those types of situations. Um, with the bug crowd platform, uh, we do it um, where we, we basically have this kind of, I don't know if it's written down somewhere, I think it is in most scopes, but where, uh, we encourage you to submit it and and ask that question. Be like, I'm not sure if this data is sensitive or not. Um, and then if the bug turns out to be, uh, you know, something that the company doesn't care about, the impact for an out of scope or uh, not applicable bug um, doesn't penalize your profile on Bug Crowd as much as it does on some of the other platforms. Um, there's not a huge hit to um, the gamification part of the platform. Um, so it's usually like negative one point, which if you think about like, if you score a P1 bug on our platform, it's 40 points, uh, uh, even a P4 is 10. Um, so, so yeah, so it's not that big of a hit in general. So I would encourage, you know, your friend or anybody who's testing, if you see something, say something, right? That's the general ethos and kind of idea behind responsible disclosure and bug bounty. Like, um, you never know that that might be a killer bug to them. And in fact, we had one the other day where. Um, it was very contextual like that. And this, and the researcher wasn't sure whether the information being leaked um, was a UUID that was sensitive or a key that was sensitive, excuse me. It turned out to be a very sensitive uh, internal API key for this company. And, um, and so uh, he scored, you know, a high level bounty and he, you know, he wasn't confident that like he had actually found something crazy. So um, yeah, I would, I would suggest always if you see something and that's just kind of the the internet like good guy kind of mentality too, right? If you see something, say something, and just uh, when you're writing it, pose it in that way. Just say, hey, I'm just trying to help. I wanna make sure that this isn't a thing that um, is dangerous or leaking customer or client data or anything like that. And um, you know, here's the reproduction steps and make it very clear. And, uh, and that's kind of the way that most testers should probably go about it, I would say. Okay, that so, and, and last piece on that, is there um, like, are there any Slack communities or anything like that that, uh, you know, for that people are hanging out in to sort of like discuss yeah. different stuff or? or yeah, you know, absolutely. Like... There's two Slack communities that I'm aware of. Um, so one is called Bug Bounty World, um, okay. which is an open Slack channel. And um, Bug Bounty World um, is just a collection of bug bounty hunters. And then there's also uh, Bug Bounty Forum. And Bug Bounty Forum is a, also a Slack channel. Um, and it's invite only, but, um, the, you know, I'm an admin there and it's, it's not, it's not invite only for any like, you know, uh, restrictions on like profile or elitness or anything like that. It's just to keep, um, spam registrants down. So you can go there and put in your Slack or your email address and we'll 
you know, invite you and you can be part of the the community. And so each one has a whole bunch of different channels, um, you know, noob channels, uh, you know, tools channels, you know, new tools that are coming out and, um, and also just the general channels, which serve to kind of like just bounce questions off random people. So. Awesome. Uh, that's really helpful. Honestly, um, that's really, that's really good info. Uh, cause I think that that's, <clears throat> it, you know, that's sort of what we're, we're hoping to uh, to kind of let people in on is like, hey, you can get started and here are some resources and, you know, get get involved and you can learn and you can do it in a safe way. You know, I heard the yeah. chuckles when you're know, talking about and actually, you know, that's kind of segues into to and a very important question that we always ask guests such as yourself. How did you get into this field? You know, how did you get started? Yeah. Um, so uh, I was uh, God, I want to say. 19 and going to a community college here in Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara City College. And um, I took a course called Ethical Hacking and Network Defense. I think I still have the book here somewhere. Um, and I took it and um, it was, it wasn't the best class. Like uh, it wasn't the worst class, but it wasn't the best class. And so I just kind of figured that there was more to, um, you know, like computer security than, than meets the eye. And I was already there for um for doing like cisco stuff so routing and switching and um and so i ended up finishing that like two-year degree um and then working for uh i went to go work for citrix uh here in santa barbara because they have a satellite office here and um so i worked for citrix as a help desk admin uh, on the night shift and i kind of got obsessed with uh ethical hacking or the idea so i i was on this forum called ethical hacker um uh, ethicalhackerforums.co.uk and so um, was talking with a whole bunch of other pen testers when pen testing was just kind of getting around um, and I uh, I knew a guy in the security group at Citrix but I was still lowly IT help desk and uh, uh, I had used rsnakes cheat sheet um, for cross-site scripting and found some cross-site scripting vulns on an internal portal and, and had like walked over to their desks and I'm like hey did you guys know you have cross-site scripting here and they were like we don't even know what cross-site scripting is. So like I had to kind of tell them what cross-site scripting was um, and it was still pretty new-ish back then. Um, and like, you know, wrote out like an exploit scenario a little bit and they were like, all right, you're our new web security dude. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, all right, yeah. Um, not exactly, not exactly like important like that. But anyway, I moved into the IT group, continued to keep in, uh, in contact with those guys, those guys. And I only stayed there for a little while um, until I saw that there was a local consultancy called Redspin, um, and uh, went to Redspin, and then after Redspin went to HP, ended up playing in a CTF uh, with a now good friend of mine, Daniel Niesler. Um, I played in a CTF as part of a Black Hat class. He was sitting next to me, and we won the C or we got second place in the CTF. Um, it was in a Daffod Stuttered's Burke class, his uh, live hacking web location hackers live class and uh, we got second place uh, got schooled by some russian dude though who just crushed us um and uh and then after we were done he said do you want to come work on the application security team at hp and i said hell yes i want to do that so uh that's how i ended up at hp and, and just like every place i've worked you just you know work hard and um you know be su sufficiently technical and moved up there and uh that's kind of where where i got to where i am now sans the bug crowd park so yeah yeah, I mean, we've seen that before. And we've talked about that uh, a bit. When I say that, I mean, involving yourself in the community, but even more specifically, CTFs is that you, you 
kind of make the community find you in that way. You get involved, you meet people, yeah. you network, and it's and also lucky you, man. Uh, I would love to 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 be schooled by Daffod Stuttered, man. Oh yeah. Are, I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure most people know, but that's uh, Daffod Stutter's the creator of Burp Suite. Uh, his handle is Port Swigger. And uh, he he wrote the kind of the the manuscript for Web Hackers, the Web App Application, yeah, handbook. So, yeah, Web Application Hackers Handbook. I mean, if, if people are really looking to get started in AppSec and testing, that's where you should start. Um, I I actually see a lot of people like complain about it a little bit um, lately, just like because it hasn't been republished to version three yet, and they're like, oh, well, isn't it stale? The thing I always tell people is like, it's still the Bible for web hacking, um, and the reason <laughs> it is so. Uh, is because all the fundamentals of what makes application security, application security, and all the fundamentals of testing are represented in there, right? It's all bad input or configuration flaws or things like that. And those categories are well represented in the book. You may have new frameworks and you may have, um, you know, new libraries and bugs may manifest themselves in quirky ways inside of those things. But the core of AppSec testing remains the same almost all the time. Um, so I always tell them, like, still go check out that book. You know, it's funny. That's like, I think, uh, and Seth, I, I believe you're the same way. It's, it's kind of like, well, um, so you want to learn this, read that 800 page book first. And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and it was funny as I was, so like, I, I, I was, I ended up not doing it, but I was going to build like a video course that was like a, a video version of the web app hackers handbook. And I started going through the outline and this was just a few months ago. And, uh, I was like, man, this stuff is, yeah, it's sure it's, it, there's definitely, it's, it's dated and, and there's a lot to add to it too. But like at the end of the day, that is a great, that is a great fundamental, uh, you know, starting point. You get an idea for how these flaws, like you said, they, they manifest differently, the text differently. Maybe we're not, maybe we're not attacking silverlight, you know, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly, but at the yeah. same, yeah. Right. But but it, but you're right. It's 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 all about the behavior of a web application, um, and, yeah, and how to go after that. And I think that um, honestly, I owe I owe a lot to that book, honestly, just because uh, you know, like right now, I'm on some of the conference circuit giving a talk called the Bug Hunters Methodology, which is adapted from the ideas in that book, right? And all it is is refreshing certain areas and talking about new classes of vulnerabilities, but. Um, the framework for web testing is, you know, built upon that and stuff like that. So, yeah. Was that the talk you just gave uh, at Dolcon then? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. How um, was that? So, it was amazing. Honestly, Nolcon was uh, probably one of the best conferences I've ever been to for a multitude of reasons. I think um, first and foremost, uh, I had... Um, I had a whole bunch of people come up to me and uh, basically tell me stories about how tangible... Um, bug hunting has been uh, and, and how important it's been to their lives. Like, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, especially me, because I'm on the phone with clients all day trying to design things. Um, I think about like how we're making kind of like the internet a safer place and all pen testers do this by securing our, our customers. But we have this whole other side of the market where we're actually enabling people um, who didn't have access to make money doing security testing before to be able to have access. And so um, some some hunters had come and um, you know had conversations and after a little while I just said hey like I had I had run a small business and and, and India hit like a tech bubble um, after a little while Nolcon is in India and um, and I lost my business and I had to move my family three times and I just got crushed by this kind of recession and tech bubble 
Um, and then BugCrowd came out and gave me an opportunity to do some infrastructure testing and some web testing. And I was able to, through BugCrowd, um, basically like get back to the place where I was living originally and start my company back up again and be a, cons a security consultancy. Um, I had another tester come up to me and tell me that like his, his he was very young, he was 19 and his parents both got sick um, and he ended end up paying for like a lot of their medical bills and they couldn't work anymore. And he said he did it through bugs on BugCrowd. And then eventually he used some of the bugs he had found on BugCrowd that could be public in his resume where he got his first job in InfoSec and now is now is able to like provide. And that's like, that's something you would see on like a marketing slick or something like that. But these were like real people that came up and told me and like, I got like a little emotional about it because yeah, you're um, face to face with yeah. people whose lives are l literally changed by and, and go have gone off in a, in a more positive direction because of the work you're doing. That's yeah. uh, man, that's got that's got to tug at the heartstrings a bit. It does. Yeah, I got I got so many hugs and high fives. And it was um, it was so that was one of the amazing parts of, of many. Yeah. Wow, that's that's amazing. How was the uh, how, how was so did you did you keynote or did you like was it was it like how how what was the what was the conference like like what yeah. was the setup so at nullcon they have a few tracks um they have uh they have like uh i think three main halls um and then a vendor hall and um and it's at this like bougie resort in goa which is like the tourist area of um, india and so um i did not keynote uh haroon mir keynoted and he gave an adaptation of his um their adaptation of his um you and your research talk which basically outlines like what it takes um to do something great in your chosen field um which is based off a white paper um, by a famous scientist i forget his name right now um and um and he adapted that to infosec in blue teamwork and um you know what kind of sacrifices you make to be um a professional of note in your of any field not just infosec but he he adapted towards infosec so the keynote was really really good um and uh i respect uh Haruna a ton and i uh, got to catch up with him a little bit and then i gave a talk at the end of the day which was a workshop which was a two-hour workshop on the bug hunters methodology which um you know i go over like I go everything. I go over discovery of new targets. I go over discovery of a single application you're on. And then I go into, um, I iterate on this one presentation every year. So this was version 2.1. And so I go over um, basically new new types of, uh, I guess, vulnerabilities. I mean, they're not new, they're still injections, but like server-side template injection, and then uh, SSRS, server-side request forgery. And I go over advents and cross-site scripting, uh, and then, you know, advents and code injection and command injection and future type of fuzzing techniques and tooling. Um, and then I kind of gave an idea of um, an idea that we had presented at DEF CON, which was this tool called Hunt, which uh, basically went over our bug crowd data set and found the most often vulnerable parameters to each class of vulnerability and walked through, like, how you can find bugs by looking at parameters for each of these classifications. Cool. Do you have a? I I I think you posted on Twitter a, um, the actual PowerPoint or the actual slides from that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me. Yeah, so maybe maybe we'll want to share that out. I because I, I I went went over it. It's a lot of good info that's in there, right? I've always appreciated that. Yeah, kind we'll, of a reminder uh, as you're testing. Yeah. Hey, yeah. This is the these are the steps that you go through. So. We'll um. Yeah, we can we can put that in the uh, description and and also I'll send it out here uh, over uh, live chat while 
I don't want to distract you, uh, uh, Jason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah uh, no, no problem. So the the, the people that, and sorry, I should have looked at. <laughs> I, I obviously I did my homework right on. Uh, my apologies for not uh, for uh, for not knowing a whole lot about Nolcon, but um, the attendees and the, and the folks you like the people you talk to face to face and the attendees did they were they were they sort of from everywhere or were they just from the local from that region or um you know did you uh because you said there was a tech bubble i wasn't sure if there was one part of india that was affected by that that tech bubble you know i'm not actually sure honestly the answer to that question about like if it was all of india or certain parts of india i know that like big population centers like Mumbai or you know some places like that might have hit, got hit. I'm not sure. Um, I didn't I didn't delve that far into it. Um, but there was representation from everywhere. We had Delhi, Mumbai, um, Hyderabad, um, a whole bunch of places. So um, in fact, it's uh, it's one of the great things to see. Like Nolcon is kind of like the black hat of of India, I would say. Um, and Null is kind of the uh, DefCon groups uh, of india right so null is like the the regional meetups and stuff like that and the and the small city meetups and um that was another kind of magical part um null feels very much like old defcon groups used to feel where it's not necessarily a speaker going to um talk at you it's a speaker telling you about something that's cool and then the whole group jumping in and iterating on this like technique and helping each other try to learn this thing and um, yeah, I talked to a whole bunch of people about Null, and they were just like, "It's it's amazing." And like the culmination of all the Null groups is Nullcon in in India, and so um, oh, yeah, it was cool. it was super cool. Yeah, yeah, it does it does feel a lot a lot like a or it sounds like a lot of hackerspace or you know old twenty twenty six hundred groups. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, like old twenty six hundred groups. Where yeah, I mean, like nowadays you can go to any of those meetups and you may spend an hour with somebody talking at you. Uh, but there's no iteration or ideation or innovation um, really going on. It's it's you trying to learn from one person instead of you trying to collectively learn as a group. And uh, I think that's super cool because honestly, there's sometimes I don't know shit about what. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Fuck yeah, this is <laughs> totally <laughs> fine. Curse. This is... Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. Sometimes I don't this know. Not I don't broadcast know. anywhere. Don't worry about it. <laughs> all right. Good. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I don't know. I don't know shit about you know the topic and. I just know that there's an issue um, and I need to learn about it. And uh, the easiest way is going to be a community that can help me. So, yeah. How long was the, I'm, I'm just curious how long travel time. Cause I know I'd seen that you posted that you like, I think a day, like a day or maybe a little bit more ago, you were in Germany. So you had, you yeah. hit obviously Frankfurt. I think it was Frankfurt on yeah. the way home. So like, what was the travel like for that? I'm just curious. Yeah, so um, the travel is pretty intense. So uh, I go from Santa Barbara to either LAX or San Francisco, and then San Francisco to Frankfurt, which is an 11-hour flight, and then from Frankfurt to Mumbai, which is an eight-hour flight, um, and then from Mumbai to Goa, which is a one-hour flight. So, uh, But yesterday, or the two days before, I had an eight-hour layover in Mumbai. So total travel time, I think, was 31 hours or something like that over the last few weekends. And I only stayed for two days. But I got to say, it was worth it. It was worth it. Like The con was worth it. In fact, I went over um, Holy, which is their kind of um, you know religious fe festival, I think, related to spring. And, um, 
and uh, and the the moon cycle there. I think if I didn't butcher that whole thing, I'm so sorry. Um, but the the party and like the festival of dyes and stuff like that, it was an amazing experience to go and just like uh, be there for that celebration and stuff like that. That was amazing. Oh, well, it does sound like it was worth it. Definitely a, a decent amount of, <laughs> definitely a decent amount of travel. But uh, I mean, yeah. and, and honestly, especially just because of that, thank you for coming on because I know what that's like to, to like be gone and, but travel that much and then try and do something the next day. That's uh, again, really appreciate. Uh, yeah, no problem. Or so <laughs> I, was telling, I was telling my engineers today, I'm like, I feel half drunk from like, um, you know, from like uh, jet lag, like every once in a while I get a little dizzy, but like, uh, we're just trying to power through it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that much only effect. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, maybe you should travel more, right? Maybe, maybe that'd be great. Uh, yeah, get, I, I mean, getting to the, getting to Asia anywhere is always a pain, you know. From, yeah. from where we're at. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I did. Uh, realistically, the conferences that I've seen that have been like the international conferences over there, right? Even in you know China, you know, I know they're trying to do DefCon China this year, right? Or they are. Yeah. It's yeah. coming up. Their beta instance of that. Um, and even Black Hat in Singapore or those other ones, those, those have always been super cool conferences, not necessarily as commercial or business focused as we, as we see here in the U S yeah. but a lot of good research, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, Nolcon had a, a good mix of both. I think they addressed that with, uh, one of the tracks was, um, was actually a CISO track, I think. So. Um, they wanted to make sure that like businesses could get value out of the conferences as well as hackers and kind of bring them together yeah. um, in that in that geographical area. So it was um, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, and then the as far as the research and stuff, yeah, the tech talent in India at the high end is actually amazing. In fact, um, along with those stories that I uh, you know I kind of told of the researchers that came up to me, um, I was um, I'm in the middle of writing a blog for Bug Crowd, which is about um, the tech talent there. Uh, it's actually amazing. And a lot of them, cause I did a, a resume panel as well as my talk, uh, just to help people out with their resumes. And like, uh, one of the things there was I kept on getting people with stellar resumes and I'm like, why can't this guy find a job? Like, like this is an amazing resume, uh, you know, kid who got hired into, um, the Nmap summer of code of which are only four selections each month had written Nmap plugins had, you know, tested everything under the sun for web apps had, had competed in 10 CTFs or something like that and scored at least in the top three at each of these regional and national CTFs. And I was like, what is going on? And it, it turns out it's just like companies in the US don't wanna pay for um, visa sponsorship or handle the legal process around visa sponsorship, which really, really makes me sad because uh, I saw a guy who had like seven years of embedded crypto experience. And I was like, that guy should be able to get a job in like a second. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I so having been there and having had uh, somebody that was dealing with the H1B process for, um, so the, you know, like, I don't know how much you've dealt with that, but what I can say is that it's, so I think you're allowed, I think we had three attempts, one each year, and essentially the H1B is a crock of shit. It's the worst. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's really garbage. And our immigration, like our whole work visa immigration setup sucks. Like it, it just stinks. But, uh, the basic gist is it's a lottery. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, kind of. Cause from what I understand, if you're one of the big, like 
I won't name the tech companies, but if you're one of the big tech companies, you're submitting a certain amount of people, you have a better chance. That's what I've been told. And then mm-hmm. for everyone else, it's a, there's a there's a small amount of um, like I, I even had to write recommendation letters and all this stuff. And at the end of the day, all it really came down to is, okay, now you're allowed to be part of this lottery. And so it's like, if your name gets pulled, then guess what? You are qualified to, to stay in the country. And it's, it's just, I, I think, yeah, struck a nerve, man. That one, that one gets <laughs> yeah. under my skin. Cause our, yeah, we spent, we spent, yeah, you spent a lot of time on that. Right. And it just never paid off. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, you know, and it's just, I think the whole lottery thing is a bunch of bullshit. So um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So so, so you're going to rewrite some public policy for us now, Ken, is that where we're going? (laughs) (laughs) I don't Uh, know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I'd ever, I don't think my mouth would ever allow me to, to get into office for anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. They they don't like honesty. That's not part of the, uh, (laughs) <laughs> uh, anyways how do we get off right right so um yeah the, I, you know what you're right you're so right like there, there are so many qualified folks um and it's just it's just a it's, a it's a shame that they you know that we we can't do something but to your point i mean going back to the, like the bug crowd the you know the, the the bug hunting platforms like that is a way to sort of, it's not the same, right? It's not, it's not yeah. nowhere near the same and it's nowhere like near the, the, I'm sure the feeling of stability and all that, but at the same time, at least it's something. And like you said, when, um, when, when there was a crash there, there was at least something that you know that you were a part of that, that helped with that. So that's got to feel good. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if I can do a little bit to encourage companies to, you know, or or even make uh, you know satellite branches out in India and some of the major cities and revitalize some of that. I think that I'll do anything I can. Honestly, I um, it was just yeah. I I only did like five or six resume reviews because it was only an hour or something like that. But um, every single one I saw was was quality. Um, and uh, and, and honestly, it felt bad, right? Because I'm here reviewing a resume and I'm like there's nothing wrong with your resume. It's great. Like, I don't understand like, why you can't get a job. What can I tell you? Yeah. 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 Oh, did we lose Seth? Uh, no, he's still there. Oh, did I break up then? Sorry. No, no worries. Um, yeah, I can still see you. So, uh, yeah, no, I think that, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of hard. I was like, like, yeah, your resume is great. Um, maybe like shift around a couple things, but, um, yeah, so if I can encourage companies to enter the lottery system or just uh, you know think more openly about about hiring people uh, from there, or or you know think about opening satellite offices and um, you know hiring full time employees in the country or something like that, like uh, there's a lot of raw uh, and actually veteran security talent there waiting waiting to be tapped. Um, I know a lot of uh, places you know um, have started to move out to like Ireland and um uh some other places too the philippines has a really burgeoning security scene as well Uh, i went to a conference there called rootcon and they have a lot of really good talent there as well so um yeah i just think that it's uh it's amazing that some of these people haven't been tapped yet yeah there's definitely a lot of there's a lot of smart people out there right and and all Mm -hmm. the resources i mean it has to do a lot with just what's available like online. I mean, the stuff that you've done with, with the bug hunting methodology as well. Um, 
these, uh, there's a lot of technical talent. There's a lot of technical schools, right? I, I remember going at one point to like the Ukraine and meeting yeah. a bunch of the guys like developers there and they were doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's very difficult to actually get them hired on unless you're like hiring the company that they, they work for because yeah. there's no way that you can get them to come over here to actually do anything, which is sad. But at, at, yeah. at the same time, right, the, if you can figure that out as a company, that's probably an advantage for you. Right? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Well, one of the other things that, um, that I will say about the bug hunting community in specific as opposed to any other community is that um, I've really seen a lot of iteration actually come from specifically from bug hunting um, over the past couple of years. So like discovery tooling um, and some of the frameworks have really been driven. Um, and I don't know why this is at the moment, but have really been driven by the bug hunters instead of a lot of pen testers. Um, mm-hmm. So like, uh, you know, tools like Sublister, um, you know, those things didn't exist until bug hunting was uh, a thing. And I feel like the community at this point is much more open about sharing their research and their uh, and their tooling um, than at least when I was in pen testing than I ever, like I had to really hunt to get that kind of information before. And now um, it seems like there is a community around it that is really sharing kind of the knowledge, which to me is a fabulous thing. I, I mean, I want to learn more all the time about testing. So um, I'm really happy to like kind of be part of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, because there's so much opportunity in all the platforms and all the bug bounties, I think that um, that's kind of what spurs it, right? It's like, there's probably enough opportunity for everyone. So sharing your research should not be like a big thing. And you're not employed by a consultancy that's going to come down on you and be like, you can't share your research because it's a tactical advantage to a competitor. And so uh, I think there's some good stuff going on there too. What's, you know, I did want to get Brian. So Brian Gray had asked a question and uh, he was wondering um, about the, volume or ratio of like a uh, web app to mobile app to binary exploitation to network pen testing sort of, uh, you know, what's, what's, what's the kind of the, the ratio, I guess, you know, if you had to divide it up. Uh, I would probably say, at least on our platform, I would say it's uh, maybe if I just had a ballpark it, like maybe 80% web, um, 10% network and a small mix of the other things um uh iot being um one of them uh binary being a small percentage of that last little bit um really we host those types of things for bigger companies um and uh the we're starting to get more and more of them on the platform um but uh but they're not our primary business most people want their websites covered um you know with a responsible disclosure program or a bug bounty um then secondarily, their mobile apps because those connect to pretty sensitive API endpoints, um, and they want to make sure that you know highly distributed code doesn't have any security vulnerabilities in it. You know, uh, and then we get into more of the edge case stuff. But there does exist some. A lot of antivirus manufacturers have started to basically put forth their clients in, in bug bounties or um, or bug bounties or or responsible disclosure programs. So um, reversing those binaries has yielded some pretty cool results. Um, as well as we've had some COT software vendors come and have us do some reversing. And then a lot of, uh, for IoT, a lot of router manufacturers actually are hosted by Bug Crowd. So um, kind of routers you're probably running in your house right now, one of those brand names probably running on Bug Crowd right now. So we do a lot of shipping hardware and 
uh, pen testing or um, or assessment with the crowd uh, of the web portals connected to those devices. Um, so a lot of cool stuff there. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I didn't know yeah. that you had. Um, yeah, I had no idea that there were uh, like home routers or even you know uh, I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure both residential as well as like business. Uh, yeah, I had no idea that was being tested on your platform. That's and also the antivirus one is really awesome because like uh, yeah, thinking you, about the threat vectors there, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's some interesting ones where it's like uh, you can cut those programs into sections of vulnerabilities. One is uh, one is can you directly exploit the binary, you know, with a traditional method of like an overflow or something like that? Obviously more fancy these days, but still, you know, same thing. Um, and then there's also like bypasses for the rule set, right? Like, can you bypass signature checks on a certain brand of antivirus? And is that, you know, important to, you know, the clients uh, in the grand scheme of things? And so there's been some interesting questions come out of Bounty and, and how those things work and um, some interesting evasions and, uh, and lots of cool stuff come out of that. So, very interesting. Well, it, like one of the topics that we, uh, yeah, we're already you know three fourths of the way at least through this. So, um, no. sorry. No, no, no. no. One <laughs> of the to topics, right? I mean, we're already talking bug bounties, and you know, one of the things that we came up when we were talking about talking with Jerry Gamble a few weeks ago yeah. uh, was you know, um, kind of bug bounty versus assessment, right? He, and he does both of them, right? And so I kind of wanted to, I wanted to get your take on it, right? Where you have done the assessment side, right? You've been a, you know, security pen tester, and you've already done, and you've also done bug bounties. Number one, what do you, what do you see the difference as? What are the advantages and disadvantages from a, you know, from a researcher perspective, but then also from a company perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I think that there's both the advantages and disadvantages uh, work both ways, honestly. So, uh, you know, with an assessment, um, you carve out, you know, a, a time, right? Usually two weeks is what most assessment companies will run an application assessment or a network assessment for. Um, and so you get your tester for that guaranteed two weeks. Um, and so that can be really beneficial depending on, I guess, the uh, how bad your app how bad your app is coded or how bad your network is, right? Um, and so with the bug bounty hunter, you you know you can specify a program, um, but any single resource can jump on or off the program anytime they want. So you, you're not uh, you're not guaranteed. And so the way that crowdsourcing tries to make up for that is just invite more than one researcher. So uh, with the model of crowdsourcing, you can get up to 25, 30, 100, 200, 500 researchers on any one program, even on a private program. Um, so if, if I'm just honest, and, and I have to be kind of honest here, is that I've never seen a bug bounty um, have less critical findings than a pen test, just, just being honest. Like, um, and I'm a pen tester, right? And I've actually lost some pen test friends because they don't like this model of work. But I just have to be honest about it. It's, it's a truly impactful um, model um, to, to find these bugs. now. There are some levels of network and some applications, like internal applications, that you're just not going to farm out to a crowd. You're just, you know, probably not. And so that's where pen testers and, and people come in to still do uh, very internal type projects. But I think that, uh, honestly, I think that this, uh, both, both the model of only paying for valid stuff and um, the results of the testing, 
um, are a little bit superior right now. And I'm going to take a lot of heat for that, but I just, I have to be honest, sorry. <laughs> no, I like, and, and that's, that's, a, that's exactly what I wanted to hear, right? Is realistically what you're seeing from having been on both sides. Um, yeah. You know, we have, we have a marketing slick for a financial company up and uh, I actually worked on this program. So like, I know it from the researcher point of view and from seeing like their, um, their previous pen test report. And they, uh, they had done uh, basically three pen tests a year for the last four years. And then they ran, they switched models and they ran the bug bounty on top of it. And they found eight times the amount of findings that the pen tests had found um, with a group of 25 researchers. Uh, and they found eight critical bugs um, that had never been discovered before in any of the pen tests. Um, so it's, it's a really powerful model. Um, but, uh, but there is still room for pen tests in, in other places. You're never going to be able to get rid of pen tests, no matter what anybody writes on some, you know, I've seen so many co uh, conference papers like pen test is dead. And like, you know, the, you know, the end of pen test is nigh. And that's, it's never going to go anywhere. There are certain places where that model consulting model fits way better. Um, but for a lot of stuff that's public on the web, um, where you want a hardcore security assessment with many eyes and lots of coverage, um, you know, we can, we can do that. So. Yeah. Well, I know Seth and I have both seen in inst uh, instances where, you know, an assessment's done and then like a company will also have, so have both assessment and bug bounties, which I feel like there's still, like, I know, uh, plenty of companies that are still doing both but like mm. the interesting thing and what i like about bug bounties is that it keeps it honest because it's like you said um again i can think of two instances off the top of my head where uh assessments were performed and then later bug bounty separately a bug bounty was you know bug bounty researcher found a vuln that hadn't been found during the assessment granted and th but this is also sort of the beauty there. Granted, there's like more time on the you know for the bug bounty. Depending, I mean, I don't I don't know how uh, long things stay in scope uh, for bug crowd, but typically you know it's more than a week or two, right? So yeah. you have time, and you could. But I mean, that's also sort of the beauty is that you're paying per for the bug, right? So. Um, you know, I know there's some costs associated with managing the the program too, but like uh, you're paying for the the bug specifically, so it just sort of I think it kind of equals out. I, I don't know. I'm not like super heavy into the financials of it, but the point being, like, if you have both, it's great because you've got coverage over two sides, and it can again, it can sometimes stink on the assessment side because like you'll have a week or two, you'll scope down to whatever, and then boom, bug bounty will come in. Uh, some researchers to take a look, a bunch of them with a lot more time than you, and then they'll find something. And um, and no, it didn't happen to me, but I, I but I know of uh, two two folks that it did happen to. So they weren't yeah. too happy, weren't having a great great time with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I mean, we 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 saw that as a you know, or I mean, I've seen that from the you know, assessment side as well, right? You get a new firm in, you get new eyes on it, and all of a sudden they find yeah. two critical vulnerabilities, right? Yep. I mean, just, just the fact that you got twenty five guys. That are going yeah. on something for a couple of weeks, right? Even if you know some of them just have their specialties in there, there's there's definitely that whole crowdsourced model. Uh, you're going to find different things. Um, yeah, yeah. Everybody has a different skill set, and I think that um, yeah, that's the beauty, right? More eyes equals more bones. So you've had had developers and architects come in and submit bugs that were like workflow based that 
didn't mean anything to security, but meant a lot to a finance group um, as far as like you know, how you could transact with certain companies. Um, and and so like we would never have had those those findings had it not been for that like one specific skill set. If we would not have casted a wide net to bring in so many skill sets, we've never got that person. So um, I definitely think there's a lot of power to it. I, yeah, I mean, it's it's also something that happens in pen tests too, right? Like you, you get a new permit and you get a whole new report of different types of findings. So like uh, it definitely happens in the pen test world as well, as well as like pen test teams that do pair testing or more than one resource testing are always better than usually teams that do one resource for the two weeks. So like, um, it's not like this is a new new concept. It's just that we we have uh, operationalized it very much. So yeah. Hey, we did want to mention. I think we're getting some static on your audio. Uh, I wanted to confirm that Seth was hearing it too. And I don't know. Uh, I just want to let you know. I don't know what to do about it, but <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah. an AV wizard. Uh, even though I got this fancy mic, <laughs> Amazon. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, hold on. Yeah, I use Google and Amazon to piece this together, but that by no means make by no means makes me an expert. It looks it looks very professional. Well, thank you. I uh, I <laughs> did Google people that do professional audio. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Someday I will get a real mic. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah. Um. Uh, I'm trying to see if we hear it still. Um. Can you say something? I just want to, because it's really staticky. Oh, yeah. Let me, um, do you guys want me to drop and try to come back in? Or... All right, we can try that. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah. give it a shot. Uh, while Jason is doing that, I just wanted to mention um, that we are working on a, uh, so an update. We are working on the website. We're almost there. Um, once we have the, the website going, we uh, basically, we're going to have a sign up and it's going to be like what Jason said, which was you, you know, you sign up for it and we're, we're just going to like accept you, uh, just this is to prevent spam, not because we're like trying to make it exclusive. Um, but so you'll sign up through the website, you'll get more information through the website. So I just want to let everyone know while Jason was fixing or working on his audio, like that's the update on that. So Slack is coming. Yep. Slack is uh, coming. Website's coming. Podcasts are like just audio only podcasts. We'll be on iTunes and Stitcher and all the regular podcast um, channels once we get the website up. So that's all, that's all on the on the horizon for us, and it should be should be within the next week, two weeks. Uh, Ken and I Ken and I are working through it. So how's your audio now, Jason? Yeah, I was gonna say you guys are real real professional with all of the services. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> obviously the hoodie that says professional. Right? <laughs> Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Is it any better now? Is the audio cool? Way it is better. better now. Yeah. Okay, cool. Way better. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, I was getting, I don't know what was going on, but it was like this crazy. Um, and we want to be able to hear what you got to say, man. You got good stuff to say. So, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm a remote worker. So, um, <laughs> whenever there's audio issues, it's the most frustrating thing to me in the world. So, we actually had one today where it was like the robot voice was screaming through through my headset and i was just so pissed i was like oh my god can we just get this working please like i just want to contribute to my company please work (laughs) everybody laments you know there's no like i don't think to this day anyone's i've ever heard anyone be like oh this is the perfect video conferencing solution this this works great (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) that's true nobody ever um nobody ever said that so i did want to we did want to ask you you know like uh 
in terms of um, any speaking, do you, I know you're always speaking somewhere and I was curious if, you know, like where can people catch you over the next six months? Yeah. Um, you know, I actually don't know, honestly, that's, a, that's the horrible time to ask this question because, <laughs> uh, because, uh, I've done a lot of traveling and, um, and over the last year I did, you know, I did DEF CON on Black Hat and it was pretty stressful to like DEF CON just like stresses me out because those are my, those are my peers and it's the, the most well-known conference. And, um, I kind of just wanted to enjoy this year a little bit and do some smaller conferences, but I haven't decided on what those, what those were. Um, so like, I think that, uh, I think that definitely at the end of the year, I'm probably going to try to go to KiwiCon because I hear really great things about New Zealand and that con in specific. So I might do that, uh, and submit there, but I'd have to get accepted first. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head right now. I know I'll be doing a webcast of the same talk I did at um, NullCon for this Bug Hunters methodology. Um, and then I know at DEF CON, I'll be doing um, a new version of my recon talk, which is strictly just um, recon uh, for finding new sites. And so newest advents in, in that. Um, and I'll be doing that at the recon village at DEF CON. I just talked to the nice. organizer. Um, I talked to the organizer yesterday and, and showed him my deck, which uh, basically, uh, this is not um, standard, but uh, I actually write down all my methodology uh, in PowerPoint slides or in Google slides. Like all my methodology oh, wow. just gets like pasted into like a deck. And then so like when I have to make a new deck, it's pretty updated because all my actual testing tricks and tools and stuff are pasted into uh, a Google slides. Yeah. <laughs> That is unconventional to, and yeah. not, not because it's necessarily PowerPoint because you have it written down. <laughs> yeah. 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 I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For the, yeah. For, for those that, that do or do not know wh whatever, like it's very rare for, for you to see people actually write as crazy as that, that, that is like, it's very rare to see uh, somebody organized like that. So uh kudos to that's probably so like let me ask you was that early on something you did or was that just like experience and time taught you to write shit down um experience and time. i don't know if uh if you talk to cg much anymore chris gates oh but... yeah we yeah every day in fact we're working on something new so okay cool uh yeah so his graph i don't know if he made it but the like the pen test graph where it's like didn't find anything i suck i'm a failure <laughs> and then it goes up and it's like oh that's interesting oh maybe this is a thing and then it gets to the top of the peak of the graph and it's like it's like oh shit screenshot 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 write notes and then it's like okay end of test and like submit report or something like that. i love that graph but uh because <laughs> it shows happen. my favorite part is the depression part of that oh yeah, the so yeah. yeah. i should not I, be an investor yep yeah i'm like why am i why am i in this career i can't yeah i just I, I i tweeted about this the other day and i was like sometimes i do a bug bounty or a pen test or something like that and i'll sit there and I, i'll spend four days out of a week i'm gonna uh, assess this thing and i'll just sit there and i'll be like i haven't found shit like this sucks like i must be the worst pen tester of all time and then and then I go back and I'm like, I've just actually, I realize in my head, I've actually been trying to YOLO it. I've been like trying random shit and not following my methodology. And then, so I go back and I start from the beginning of my methodology and like, you know, actually document what I'm doing. And then eventually like bugs just fall out of the tree. And I'm like, oh yeah, that was the thing I should have started with you idiot. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Oh yeah, totally. No, I know. Like I was there just two weeks ago. It was the same, same kind of deal. I was, yeah. I remember hopping on a meeting with a boss and he was like, uh, how you doing? I'm like, that's so great. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> Pulling my hair out, but yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it still even happens now, but, um, but yeah, you're right. Like writing stuff down. Yeah. Do that yeah. early I actually, on. I actually, yeah, figure, uh, figure out okay. how to document it and go. Yeah. Yeah. I've been using um, really recently, well, not really recently, for the last six months, I've been using mind maps. So, like, I use XBind. Um, and so, for XBind, I'll just take my, like, at least for a bounty with an open ish scope, I'll take, like, the brand name and put it as a center node. Um, and then every top level domain will have a sub node. And then under that sub node, I'll have every subdomain. And then under every subdomain, I'll have a checklist of things to do for that subdomain. And like, as long as I can organize that I've done X, Y, and Z on each site, then I can move on to the next and say I've given it like a pretty good go. And so, um, you know, using a mind map has tremendously helped me organize my my testing, especially on large scope projects. Because like, with you know, like I did one the other day, um, and like there was something like fifteen hundred live i uh, live sites or something like that, live websites for this brand, and I was like okay, well, where do you, you know, where do you start? Well, it's like eating an elephant, right? You start, you just like take one bite at a time, just do one thing at a time and eventually something will happen. So yeah, it was, that's kind of what I've been doing lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, when it gets to that and it gets to, it, it becomes more about coverage and it becomes more about discipline than it does. Hey, I can find SQL injection or I can find cross-site scripting because yeah. you yeah. know, 1500 chances are there's at least a couple of those that don't <laughs> yeah. have security quite. Yeah done quite right because they were set up by the marketing team or whatever. Yep, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. You got to, you've got to figure out some way to actually do that. And I, I think we give that short shrift because you know, it's an experience thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The more that you do, the more that you realize that, Hey, I'm not going to remember that I didn't do my cross site scripting payloads against X site unless I document it somewhere or I didn't, yeah. I didn't map out all those endpoints. So I'm not, I'm not sure if I got that coverage. Right. So, yeah, actually I have a really good, or actually uh, I did, you know what, bef- I did want to ask you cause we've had this question come up and I think you're the perfect person to ask. Sure. Uh, how are you guys seeing people deal with single page applications and testing? Cause I don't know something. Oh, Seth, you said cross site scripting payloads and, and I, yep. that has been a, that has been a question that's come up. Um, so yeah, how, how do you, I mean, I don't know if you have any tips or things you've seen work for, for like single page testing, single page applications. Yeah. I mean, uh, it depends on what you mean by that, but I mean, I assume that you're talking about like one website that has like one view, like maybe like an eBay where like the, uh, the site itself can like have millions of pages, but really it's just like one, one view that's represented over and over for like a product. Is that what you mean? Like we're talking like react. Oh, React, React. Angular front end, and then it's making it's basically making RESTful calls to the yeah. back end, right? So I mean that goes back yeah. to the API test that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So yeah, that's actually one of the well for web service testing, it's a little bit different, but yeah, for for that kind of stuff, it's uh, just making sure like dynamically executing all the JavaScript options and actually using the app to the fullest is like you know core to all web testing. But a lot of people just sometimes want to plug a scanner in there and go and like. Uh, or maybe count on just the spider results from one of their tools or something like that. You can't you can't do that unless you're bootstrapping it with some type of technology. So in, in the pr- presentation I did, um, there's a 
I actually use Zap instead of Burp in one instance. So they have Zap has a, um, a, what is it? It's called like a JavaScript crawler or Zap JavaScript exerciser or something like that. And it will um, it will actually uh, with a browser like execute like all JavaScript functions, so you don't lose any context when you're using like a regular Spidering engine or something like that. And then um, there's a couple of projects out there which do a little bit better job, a uh, little bit better job than Burp does with parsing relative links from JavaScript files and exercising paths for web services and stuff like that, and and REST-based URLs, um, and we'll map them all out so you can exercise them with uh, whatever you need. So I think it's a JS parser is one of them, and um, Link Finder is the other one. So cool. Yeah, yeah. No, Zap Ajax yeah, Spider. Yeah. That's good, right? Um, you know, I mean, the, the best that I've seen so far has been something similar to what Zed or what Zap is doing with the, yeah. you know, hey, we're driving a browser using Selenium or something like that, yeah. and then yeah. and then pulling the endpoints out after that. But still, yeah. the the scanners haven't figured it out, right? If you've talked no. to any of the, the those guys, they've got beta instances and they're <laughs> they're getting there. Yeah, but, you know, they basically have to embed some huge JavaScript or Selenium library in their yeah. scanner to actually do it. Yeah, it's, it's a Zap Ajax Spider, JS Parser, and Link Finder for like heavy, I basically call them heavy JS sites, but you know, it could be like React or whatever, um, yeah. or, or what I use to exercise all, all those type of things, so. Cool. That's helpful. People ask yeah. us that all the time, and yeah. Uh, yeah. And, then, and then when it's a web service, obviously you have to test all the methods, right? You can't just test like, like a lot of, I mean, it's just a new person thing, but like a lot of people will just test like paths and URLs from the application that are get based on a REST uh, client. And like, that is obviously not like going to get you very much. <laughs> like you have to test all the HTTP methods. So yeah. Delete, delete is the yeah, yeah. Delete, put, you know. Uh, push. Yeah, push. push. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah, it's, it's all those esoteric. Again, it's experience, yeah. but realistically yeah. your tool should be able to handle that. Right. It's so it's so context aware though. For a lot of these schools, have so much trouble with it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I mean even even you know uh, APIs that are structured to uh, to respond to head requests to get you know data back instead of just the get. Like people will just miss stuff completely because uh, they're not used to in, in traditional web testing changing the method. So yeah. yeah, and then understanding that REST URL structure as well. Like I think that's one of the first things I learned in. Sans when I was like a baby tester was like what REST was and you know and, and how like REST based applications like it's just like a parameter application but like the, it goes in the URL right at the end is probably your data and right before that is probably your parameter right like um, but like a lot of newer testers just don't get that context right away and they have to learn it so yeah cool no that's yeah that that that's useful I mean at some point we'll probably want to talk more tools um, you know we've been going for over an hour but. Uh, Jason, this has been really, really interesting. I mean, we'd love to have you back on sometime, you know, when it makes sense again. Um, yeah, yeah. Probably talk, you know, more methodology, more dig into yeah. more tools, because that's, we've been getting lots of questions about that and how how to utilize something like a burp or a Z attack proxy, um, you know, automate a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, let us know when your webcast is, if that's open to the public, right, for sure. Yeah. You know, I think our our you know, viewers, our listeners would be interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Yeah, and I'll come back any day and just shoot the shit with you guys. It'd be great. <laughs>
Hey, we really appreciate it. And yeah, we'll, we'll definitely want you back. Uh, I think Seth's right. We'll definitely talk more tools, um, probably about some relevant topics, get your take, but um, just things going on. So yeah, we had, yeah. we had a list of relevant topics for this week and for some reason we didn't get to them because <laughs> we never get through our list, right? That's the... Never. We got through half of it, I think. So yeah, yeah, I mean, none of the news stuff, but I mean, that's just news stuff. Everybody who reads InfoSec News knows about Trustico or the GitHub DDoS, right? So yeah. yeah. It doesn't mean it's not fun to talk about, but... It is. Oh my God, it's fun to talk about, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> infosec gossip we will have a we'll have a, a coffee we'll, talks we'll do, we'll do a new like sub podcast it's just <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah Sweet. well um definitely don't when we end this don't don't jump off just yet even though we you know we've taken up a lot of your time but we and we appreciate your time but yeah don't jump off we'll uh when we stop we'll uh we can stay on for a little bit just for a okay, few minutes cool. Cool. Yeah, and everybody uh, watch Twitter uh, for the website updates and when we're actually going to push out the audio to those different platforms uh, so you can catch up on it without streaming YouTube or streaming video. All right, thanks, Jason. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, thanks everyone. everyone. <laughs> All right.